Well, as you might guess, both the sermon text and the sermon title this morning are, are not the same as what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's okay. I just want to say, I didn't say it before, how great it is to see you all again. It really is a blessing to my heart. And I wish I could run down there and give you all hugs, but there will be time for that after the service. But what a great thing of God's providence that I should drive in not hours before Dennis would get sick, you know, and I, I happened to have a sermon ready to go just by providence. <laughs> and so, let's just trust God this morning. You know, it, it takes a lot for me to sit down and watch a movie these days. I just don't feel like movies are that good anymore, especially if that movie is a chick flick. Because inevitably, one of two things happen. Either the movie is really bad, and in my, in my book, for a movie to be good, it really has to relate it to real life. Or the movie's going to be kind of good, and then I'm forced to admit that I actually enjoyed watching a chick flick. <laughs> All that to say, a, a little while back, I was coerced into watching one of these kinds of movies. It's called Fifty First Dates. And I've got to say, once you get past all of the crude humor, the movie's really got some commendable qualities. So you have Adam Sandler as the boy, and Drew Barrymore is the girl, and the rest is history, right? Except there's one catch. Cute little Drew Barrymore has a cute little case of permanent amnesia. She can never remember anything overnight. So Adam Sandler is left with this challenge of winning over this girl's heart day in and day out, every day starting from ground zero. And so as time goes on, the relationship actually progresses. And yet every day he's got to remind her of their relationship and their history and what she's been through and all the things that he's done for her and all the ways that he loves her. Every day he's got to start fresh. I think that we as Christians are spiritual amnesiacs. We love to forget what God has done for us. And yet, day in and day out, God in His grace is faithful to remind us of His goodness to us, what He's done for us in the past, and what He continues to do for us in the present with each passing day. The psalm before us today, I'm going to preach on the psalm, Psalm 124, is called a psalm of ascent. You'll see it in the title. Now, there are 15 psalms of ascent in the Bible between Psalm 120 and 135. And literally what that means is a song for going up. And there's a lot of discussion about what that means. Some think it was a song that, that Israel sang as they were going back up to Jerusalem, returning from exile. And others would say that, that this is a song for, for Jews who were scattered all over, making their pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem. They sing this as they were going up to Jerusalem. But personally, I think the ambiguity is intentional. I think this song is a, a song about life, to be sung by every Christian in every era as he journeys through the, the wilderness of this life in the hope of, of that heavenly Jerusalem. And the way that this psalm helps us march on in the Christian life is through remembrance. Every time God's people sing it, they're called to remember God's goodness, even in the face of great trial and great danger. 
that they might have a new confidence in the sovereign God that He is on our side. So let's read this psalm together. Psalm 124. This is God's holy word. A song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us His prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is God's holy word. Now, I don't think it's just the Presbyterians who are fond of the whole three-point sermon thing. I think, actually, King David was into it too. Because we look at this psalm, I didn't have to force anything on it. It actually divides itself into, into three neat parts, all of which are about remembering, remembrance. First, we're called to remember what would have happened. Then we're called to remember what surely has happened. And finally, we're called to remember what God has promised in His Word truly will happen. So first, the psalmist calls us to remember what would have happened. Look how it starts off. It's actually pretty strange. It's almost as if the author interrupts himself and then starts over. He says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, and then he says it over again. Now, what, what's actually going on here is a lot like what goes on in our churches today. You've, you've got your worship leader up front, and he's talking to the congregation and saying, now congregation, we're going to stand and sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And that's the first line of the song. Except this time, the title's not A Mighty Fortress is Our God, it's If It Had Not Been the Lord Who Was on Our Side. You understand what's going on? So the point is, this is a song of the people. It's a song of God's people. I bet many of the people in the congregation back then knew it by memory. I bet it was near and dear to their, their hearts. And the reason for this is it's, it's a song they could all relate to. This is a corporate song of remembrance. It's a song of remembering those things that bind us together as the people of God. So let's look at how the first part of the psalm was laid out. Verse 2 does something we're not used to, to the Psalms doing, or, or the Bible for that matter. And it introduces a what if. It calls us to speculate. It calls us to imagine the possibilities of what might have been. And, and then verses 3 through 6 give us some illustrations of what would have happened if. And so the question is, what would have happened if what? Look at verse 2. The psalm asks us to imagine what this world would have done to us if God had not been on our side. Look what verse 2 says. 
when the people rose up against us. It sounds like some sort of battle imagery, right? But what battle? It doesn't say. The thing is, it's totally generic. And I think, again, it's intended to be generic. There's no way to tell what it's talking about, and I think that's on purpose, because it makes this psalm applicable to believers in every generation, in every nation, in every time. Believers who feel weighed down because this world is rising up against them. So my question for you is, has the world got you down? You feel like Satan is, is paying special attention to you and he's hitting you from every angle? I think it's easy to think things like that when our pastor's in the hospital. We've got dear friends going into surgery this week. Well, discouraged believer, this psalm is for you. And it offers you a solution. It calls you to remember what would have happened if. Do we ever do this? It seems like we're always too busy worrying about what might be. I was thinking about this a few weeks back when I was on a camping trip in Mississippi. Now, in Mississippi, mosquitoes are a big problem. We're happy when it warms up a little bit, but that means the mosquitoes are bad. And I was on this camping trip, and, and it occurred to me, there are no mosquitoes. How can we only think about mosquitoes when they're around and they're stinging us? We never think about them when they're not there. Praise God, no mosquitoes. Think about this. What if God had not been on Israel's side in the Bible? Would they have survived the flood? Would they have escaped from Egypt? Would they have defeated the Canaanites and, and, and claimed the promised land? Would there have remained a remnant faithful to the one true God? Or think about church history. If God had not been on our side, would, would the apostles have survived persecutions to go on and spread the church? Would, would the Scriptures have been preserved up until now for our use today? Would the Reformation have happened? Or would the whole church have eventually dissolved into heresy and moralism or, or liberalism? Or what about yourself? Imagine what life would have been like for you if God had never called you out of, his, out of your darkness into His marvelous light. I can picture what that might have been like for me just by looking at some members of my own family who don't know the Lord. Really, the only difference between me and them is God's, God's sovereign grace given to me. And yet, it makes a world of difference because at the end of the day, they have no hope. And I have hope of life eternal. We love to forget just how insurmountable is that enemy who stands before us. And what would have happened had God not intervened? Look at these images. They would have swallowed us up alive. The flood would have swept us away. Over us would have gone the raging waters. Some say that this swallowing in verse 3 is like that of a dragon. Or maybe like that of the earth opening up in an earthquake to swallow us whole. But in the end, does it really matter? The point is this. That God has saved us from an enemy, an enemy who would otherwise be invincible. We don't stand a chance. And He's calling us now to remember what might have been. So has the world got you down? Do you feel like the enemy is winning the battle? 
remember the goodness of God to you in the past. Where you were, where you surely would have gone. Remember and rejoice and believe. Let's move on to verses 6 through 7. If the first part of the psalm called us to remember what hasn't happened, what would have happened, these verses call us to remember what truly has happened. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Believer, this is a call to remember what God has done for you. It's a call to remember your baptism, to remember the sure promises of God. It's a call call to remember the great truths of our salvation. And it's a call not just to remember, but to rejoice because the work is finished. It's done. It's a done deal. It can never be erased. There's no going back. And the psalmist again presents us with, with two glorious, vivid images to help us understand. The first is of a savage beast ready to devour us like a defenseless lamb. And the imagery is so vivid, isn't it? It's showing us the savage beast's teeth, sharp as razors, dripping with saliva, closing in on our field of view, ready to, ready to clamp. It reminds me of whenever I go to the zoo or ever, whenever I would go as a child, my favorite exhibit would be the crocodiles. I mean, for a little boy, how can it not be, right? And I would always imagine myself, what would happen if I leaned in just a little bit too far and fell in? What would happen then? And, and the vision always plays out in the same way. I'd think about running and I'd roll over to run, but all I would see is teeth. It would be too late. Same thing with the image here. It's meant to be the last thing that you see before you die. The second image is one of a stupid bird who's caught in a net. The net's closed in on all sides. There's no escape. Yet this bird keeps flapping its wings, trying to set itself free, just making its problem worse. There's no escape. So in both cases, the images are trying to present to us the certainty of that death from which we've been saved. Have you forgotten, believer, that, that when you came into this world as a little baby, you, were, you came dead on arrival? Remember what Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were by nature children of wrath. We're all good Calvinists. We we all would affirm this on paper, right? Yet, somehow, myself included, we love to forget this with respect to ourselves. Maybe, Maybe you've been a believer for as long as you can remember. You can never remember a day that you didn't call upon the Lord. And praise God for that. That's that's a a great gift. And yet, I think sometimes it's easiest for us to forget that that this this was our condition at one time. Even so, as people raised in the church, before God called us, this was our condition too. We were as dead as everybody else. And that death was certain, it was permanent, and it was irreversible. There was absolutely no hope for you. But here, the psalmist rejoice in verse 7 over what God has done for him. The snare is broken and we have escaped. It's amazing. The net was closed. The jaws were, were, were closing in. Yet God has intervened and He's caused this impossible reversal. 
brothers and sisters, remember the great truths of your justification and rejoice. Remember with thanksgiving how that amazing hymn, amazing grace, is true also for you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And brothers and sisters, remember the great truths of your sanctification. At one point, we were absolutely stuck in the snare of sin, just like this bird. And we could do nothing but destroy ourselves and everyone else around us. We were condemned by our own conscience, bearing witness against us, and yet we were powerless to obey. But God has freed us not just from eternal death, but also from a a very real spiritual death here and now. Savor in your hearts the words of, of Wesley's classic hymn, And Can It Be? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's might. My eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What does this all amount to? It tells us at the start of verse 6. Blessed be the Lord. God is telling us, He's reminding us of of the objective truths of of our salvation in Christ so that we might now return thanks to Him in worship. And now for the last point. Verses 1 through 5 asked us to remember what might have been. And verses 6 and 7 asked us to remember what truly has been. And now verse 8 calls us to remember those promises of God, what truly will be. Our help is in the name of the Lord, it says, who made heaven and earth. Now it's in this verse that the psalmist brings to a head, brings to consummation, the theme of the entire passage, which is this. The Lord, the God of both creation and redemption, is on our side. And our help is in His name and in His name alone. It's in this final verse that that two great themes are wedded into one. On the one hand, we worship the Creator God. On the other hand, we worship the Redeemer God. The very same God who created us is the God who redeems us. The same God who made heaven and earth is the same God who's on our side. The same transcendent and almighty Creator is the very God who's imminent and personal and loving, our covenant God, our friend. So let me unpack these two ideas real quickly so we understand how they relate to each other. On the one hand, God's on our side. Our help is in His name. What does that mean? It means that from eternity past, God purposed by His own good pleasure to send His Son to the earth to purify for Himself a bride and to marry her. It means that in the face of the monumental disobedience to the fall, God promised that His seed would come and crush the head of that serpent. It means that that God was pleased to pick out this insignificant pagan named Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees and promise him and bound himself, bind himself to him and say, you will be the father of many nations. It means that God sent His own Son to live a perfect life and to die a criminal's death all on our behalf. And in fact, 
if it weren't for this Christ to whom all these things point, God wouldn't be for us at all. In fact, God would be against us. But as it is in Christ, God has bound Himself to us by the covenant. And so our destiny is bound up with, with the very destiny of His own Son. So on the one hand, God is on our side. He's our covenant God. Yet, on the other hand, God made heaven and earth. When there was nothing, God was there. He spoke existence itself into being, and time, and space, and everything that fills them. And just as sure as that He created every molecule in the universe, He also lives to guard, to, to guide each one of their most individual movements. So in the end, our God, the Creator God, is a sovereign God who's in perpetual and complete control. So what's the point, right? In salvation, we meet a God who's both. And it simply couldn't be any other way. Can you imagine if we had one without the other? Can you imagine what it'd be like if God was sovereign but wasn't on our side? I can. We'd be looking straight into the face of, of His divine justice ready to mow us down like a freight train. Or can you imagine the opposite? If, if God was on our side, but He wasn't sovereign, He wasn't in control, He'd be real concerned about our well-being, but He'd be utterly powerless to save. But praise the Lord, our trust is in a God who's both our sovereign and our friend. And that means that our future is secure. Because we worship God who's, who's both in complete control and who has pledged Himself to us in love, because of that, can we look toward the future with hope. Dear friends, this is where this gets practical. If you're like me, you find yourself worrying all the time about what the future holds. It's, it's New Year's. What's 2007 going to bring? Maybe you're worried about How's the money going to come in? Maybe you're worried about job security. How am I going to pay the bills this year? I just took a job cut. And I tell you, believer, trust the Lord. He's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful to provide once again. Or maybe you're a student. You're in school. You're not sure what you're going to do when you get out. Maybe, maybe you're single and, and you're despairing of, of whether God will ever send you a spouse. I tell you, trust the Lord. He has been good to you once. He has been faithful. He will surely be faithful to you again. This applies to, to the health of, of Dennis and, and George. It's easy for us to worry because the matters aren't in our hands. But I'm calling you, trust the Lord. He's been faithful once. Truly, He'll be faithful again. Why do we continue to forget time and time again what God does for us each and every day? And why do we continually to forget what He's done for us once and for all in Christ? Dare we doubt ever again that this same God won't come through for us now? Dare we doubt ever again that that same God won't come through for us ultimately in Christ, bringing us one day to be with, to be with Him in heaven? I'm going to close with a little story. And it's a true story. And it's a true story that involves this very psalm. 
and it dates back to 16th century Scotland. Now, there was a Christian minister at this time named John Dury, and he had been imprisoned. And he was finally now being set free. And upon his return to Edinburgh, a party of some 200 of, of his believing friends were waiting for him at the city gates to escort him to his home, and they were singing this psalm. And as they walked him up High Street back to his home, more and more believers would gather alongside them uh, in their march, and more and more joined in this song. Till before long, by the time they reached their home, there were 2,000 of them. And this is the very response this psalm is trying to produce in us. John Dury was freed from prison, yes, but we've been freed from death and from sin and from an eternity of judgment. So I ask you, is this your song? Maybe it has been in the past, but you don't feel like it is today. And so I want to encourage you, believer, that's the Christian life. Take heart. We, we love to forget what God does for us, but praise the Lord. He loves to remind us. I'm so thankful that God's faithfulness is not dependent on my ability to remember it. Or maybe this isn't your song because these truths aren't true for you. And so then this psalm is a call for you to believe today. Repent of your sins. Cast your cares upon Jesus. <clears throat> Trust in Him and make this song yours too. This is our battle cry as, as we march toward victory. So it's also our victory song. The Lord is on our side. Blessed be the Lord. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are faithful. Your faithfulness far exceeds ours. And God, I, I would have it no other way. Uh, if my trust is, was in myself, it would, it would surely fail. But if our trust is in You, it, it can never be broken. We have only the, the sure promises of Your Word to look forward to. The sure hope of, of eternal life in Christ. And so, Father, would You... Make us by Your Spirit to leave here with great joy, remembering what You've done for us in the past, rejoicing in it, and believing. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.